Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be here. And it came to pass that your neighbor came to see you. And your neighbor said to you, I noticed that you spend a lot of time in church-related activities. I noticed that you believe in God, that God is a very important part of your life. I have a real hard time with that. And you say, what is it about that that is difficult? The thing that's difficult, says your neighbor, is that I just don't understand how you can believe in a God you can't see. Well, you say, I believe God reveals himself. God reveals himself to human beings, even though you may not be able to see God with the naked human eye. And then your neighbor asks you a question. It would have been a lot easier if your neighbor had not asked this question. But it's asked. It's one word. How? How? Yes, how? How? Hmm. Well, let me get back to you on that. If you've ever found yourself in that position, I'd like to point you to a song. A song that I would call A Song for the Seeker. It's a song that's a very old song. It's been around a very long time. And yet it is surprisingly contemporary in its application. Take your Bibles and turn to the hymn book of ancient Israel, the Psalms, and turn to the 19th Psalm. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, I would suggest to you, is a song for the seeker. In fact, it is a song that you can recommend to your neighbor who says, how? How does God reveal himself to us as human beings? I think this particular psalm gives us three answers to that question. We'll look for those answers as we begin reading in verse 1 with very familiar words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. That psalm begins with those well-known words, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And your neighbor asks, how? How does God reveal himself to human beings? Theologians have wrestled with that question, maybe from time immemorial. But theologians have come to some fairly good answers, one of which is something they call general revelation. General revelation, according to theologians, is that act of God in which he generally makes himself known. 
the psalmist would say that general revelation very clearly includes nature. A walk into, a walk through nature, says the psalmist, gives you evidence of the fingerprints of God. I've been to those places. No doubt you have been as well. I remember standing on a platform, a wooden platform over a river. But it wasn't just over a river. This platform, as we stood close to one side, gave us reason for our hearts to beat faster, our blood pressure to go up. There was a roar in the background, a roar the likes of which made it almost impossible to talk. There was mist in the air. The platform under our feet constantly shook and trembled. We were standing very close, too close to be honest, for my comfort. We were standing very close to the throat of Iguazu Falls. There is that place where you can walk out on the ramp all the way almost to the very lip of the falls. And there you can feel the sheer power of that volume of water cascading over the rocks. You look up, and the mists makes rainbows around you. You look down, and the frothing, rushing water threatens you with its strength. But as you look around you, there is something that says, this didn't just appear. Maybe it's the fingerprints of God. I've been there. You may have been as well. I remember standing in the early morning hours, crisp and cold. The altitude was somewhere between eight and 9,000 feet. The place was the Sierra Madre Mountains of Mexico, the Huichol Indian Reservation where my dad had a ministry. We had gone up, my brother and I, up to that high mountain village to check out an airstrip that had been built to make sure that it could be landed on with safety. I won't, don't think I'll ever forget emerging from the hut in which we stayed that night, emerging into the crisp, clean mountain air. I looked up and my breath was almost taken away. I mean, we go out here in Southern California and we look up and we see stars, a couple of them. <laughs> I have thought it's a good thing that God and Abraham didn't hold their discussion in Redlands. <laughs> God would have said, Abraham, count the stars. He would have said, one, two, three. What else do you want? <laughs> but I emerged that night to a panoply of beauty. I thought I knew where a few stars were located in the heavens, but I was lost, lost in the sheer wonder of space. I, I couldn't be sure, was that the Big Dipper, was that Orion, I couldn't be sure, but of one thing I was sure, that night I saw the fingerprints of God. Theologians call it general revelation. The psalmist says it's that experience of looking around you and seeing the fingerprints of God. He says there's, there's, there's no voice, there's no language, and yet you hear the voice. You hear the language. Is he confused? 
Or is he trying to describe the indescribable? Saying you can't hear clearly all of the specific attributes of God, but you can clearly know something about God. It is a theme which Paul will pick up on later in Romans, the first chapter, when he talks about the fact that there are certain attributes of God, his eternal power, his might, his creative genius that can be seen in nature. But it's a muted voice. As marvelous and as magnificent as it is, it is not always clearly heard. A believer and an atheist can stand side by side and hear different things. The psalmist recognizes that, as did Paul. There may be, in fact, a couple of specific reasons why it's difficult to know all we need to know about God through nature, through general revelation. One is the very thing I mentioned, the language. Oh, there is a language. Its language goes out into all the earth, says the psalmist. But sometimes there is perplexity. Some hear differently. And maybe the most important thing is it doesn't tell us specifically who God is. But there's a second challenge with nature and with general revelation. The second challenge is with the fall, with humankind's descent into the darkness of sin. When that occurred, nature was affected. So that now beneath every rose is a thorn. Beneath every sign of beauty can lurk tragedy. We stood, I forget now, was it Vernal Falls or Nevada Falls? We stood by one of the falls there in Yosemite National Park. The water was clean and clear and cool. But the sign there was very clear. Those of you who have hiked that trail have read the sign. It might have lodged itself into your mind as clearly as it did into mine. It makes a statement about the beauty of the place, but the danger of swimming. It says, beneath this beautiful water lies a current, a current that will sweep you toward and over the falls. In large letters, it says, do not swim. And then at the very bottom of the sign are some ominous words, ominous. There are no second chances friend of my wife's from her younger days in Latin America swam in that place and discovered that reality as she was swept to her death. There are no second chances. Beautiful, magnificent scenery, crystal clear water, the splendor of creation. But in a world that has fallen, there lurks beneath that danger. And so when we come and we read the psalmist and we do so with our question, how? How does God reveal himself? How do we come to understand God? While the psalmist is absolutely clear in saying God reveals himself in the creative works of his hands. Everywhere we look, we can see the fingerprints of God. He realizes that's not enough. There must be something further. So we go back to the psalm. 
We go back once again to probe again with that question, how does God reveal himself? How can we come to understand God? This time we begin in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. We used to sing that back when I was in college. Maybe there are some of you who remember it or still sing it. The singing of the words of the psalm remind us that there is a second way in which God reveals himself. As the psalmist pens these words, he is writing about what Israel would have called the Torah, the teachings of the law. The law did not refer merely to the Ten Commandments or even to ceremonial ordinances, but was often used as a term to refer to the entire written revelation of God. Such, I believe, is the case here in Psalm 19. As the psalmist comes along and says, God certainly reveals himself in nature. Everywhere you look, you can see the fingerprints of God. But that is neither the only place nor the ultimate place in which God reveals himself. Theologians also write of something they call special revelation. Not just general revelation, that kind of revelation through which general things can be known about God. But they write of something called special revelation. That specific kind of revelation through which we can begin to enter into the heart and the mind of God. We can actually begin to understand something of who God is, the way God thinks, His attitude toward us, the kind of character He possesses. All of that is found in his written word. Nature speaks a great deal about the acts of God. His action, his creative genius. We see what he was able to perform. But John Stott, the great Christian theologian, says, In Christian scripture, we do not see God merely acting. But we see God further explaining his actions. God is like the best sort of parent. The best sort of parent is the parent that not only acts, but explains. The weary parent is the one who merely acts. I don't have the energy. Those of us who have kids know that one of the most pungent and forceful questions kids have is, why? Why? They ask it over and over again, sometimes to the point of distraction. And we continue to try to explain why. Our son Austin used to ask why until I thought my head would explode. He had this habit of taking my answer and adding it to the question and just make the question longer and more difficult to answer. We could be driving down the road and he would say to me, Daddy... 
Why are all those cars driving so fast since the people got up late for work because they went to bed so late the night before? <clears throat> and I would answer the question, and then the question would become longer and would include my answer. One time I finally said to him, Austin, Austin, why do you ask me so many why questions? And he looked at me and said, because, Daddy, that's how Jesus made me. <laughs> it's really upsetting when my kids get theological with me. <laughs> but he was exactly right. Jesus did make us to ask those kinds of questions, to ask why, and to seek to understand more deeply who we are, why we're here, and God himself. And the psalmist says that is the very thing that occurs. In this thing called special revelation, God speaks through inspired people who write inspired literature who can open a whole world into the mind of God. The ultimate revelation came in someone called the Word. The Word who came and who could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That, without any question, is very specific and very special revelation. Life-changing revelation. R.A. Torrey was an evangelist many years ago. Tori had an encounter with a man at one of his meetings who very much craved this experience of having a changed life. Tori said to him, I want you to go to Scripture and I want you to read it. Well, I've tried that. I, I don't understand it. Well, go back and read it again. He said, in fact, the man pressed him enough that he finally said, I want you to find a part of Scripture that you will read 12 times a day. 30 days, 12 times a day. The man said, what am I going to read? Tori said, look, just... Second Peter, how about Second Peter? Just go read Second Peter three times in the morning, three times at noon, three times. Just go read it, read it, and reread it. That special revelation will do something to you. May I read Tori's description of what the man had to say to him later? The man later said, My wife and I read Second Peter three or four times in the morning, two or three times at noon, and two or three times at dinner. Soon I was talking Second Peter to everyone. Everyone I met, it seemed as though the stars in the heavens were singing the story of 2 Peter. I read 2 Peter on my knees, marking passages. Teardrops mingled with the crayon colors. And I said to my wife, see how I've ruined this part of my Bible? Yes, she said, but as the pages have been getting black, your life has been getting white. And that's the reality of this thing called special revelation. The psalmist says the law of the Lord is perfect. It is complete. But it is that in order to lead us to that kind of maturity in Christ. And so your neighbor says, how? I know your life is awfully bound up. Awfully caught up in this experience with God and your church and all the rest. But I have one question. How? How does God reveal himself? I don't hear voices speaking. And you say to your neighbor, well, have you been to Yosemite lately? 
Have you been to the desert? Have you been to Iguazu? Because you may see the fingerprints of God. And your neighbor says, well, that's all fine and good. I can accept some of that, but that's not enough. And then you say, well, try Second Peter. <laughs> Why don't you take the book and begin to read? Your neighbor is willing to do that and does it for a period of time. Questions arise, a lot of questions. As your neighbor reads, more and more queries come to mind. But there is one principal one that comes to mind. Your neighbor comes back to you and says, now I want to ask you a more specific question. What has God done for you? And we go back to the psalm. Psalm 19, verse 12, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist doesn't use the words of theologians. We've developed those since the scripture has been written. But if he did, he would tell you to that question, how does God reveal himself? He has given three answers. First, he says, God reveals himself generally, general revelation, nature. Second, he says, God reveals himself specifically, special revelation, his written word and his living word. But thirdly, he says, there is something called personal revelation. It is that reality of God speaking to your soul. It comes to you always in harmony with the first two. But it can be not only very real, but very life-changing. It is that kind of revelation for which the psalmist here pleads. As he opens the chambers of his heart, as he invites God and he says, Oh God, might the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight as you reveal your will to me. Might it so transform and affect my life that I become a revelation for you to the world around me. This will again be echoed in the New Testament. The New Testament, 1 John where John writes so much about love. If you go through 1 John and underline and highlight the word love, you will have a book that is filled with underlining and highlighting. But he comes to that piece in 1 John 4 where he says something very interesting. He says two things that seem to be unrelated at first. He says, God is invisible. In other words, the human eye, the naked human eye, has never seen God. God cannot be put in a test tube to use our modern-day parlance. God is invisible. But he says, if we love, God lives among us. May I paraphrase that? John is saying we cannot see God with the naked human eye, but everywhere we see love 
truly operating, there we see God. There that person, there those people become living revelations of the love of God. They reveal God to the world. That's what the psalmist is praying for. He is praying that the sin of his life would be forgiven, that the temptations of the future would be in the power and grace of God overcome, and that his life, his witness, would be a revelation to others of God and of God's great goodness. May I share with you the words of a contemporary singer named Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow says this, I think everybody on this planet feels alone, even when they're in the greatest relationships or surrounded by family. In fact, in many ways, when you're with someone you care about, you feel more alone than if you were by yourself. I don't want to spend the rest of my life alone. That's the only true fear I have, because what else is there but love? Not to sound completely elementary, but it's what it's what people have written songs about for hundreds of years, and it's really the only thing that matters. It's what motivates you, edifies you, encourages you. It's what brings you the most joy and the most wisdom. So that is what I long for, the consummate love. I think Crow, whatever else about her may not be accurate, is dead on here. We yearn, our hearts thirst for the consummate love. I would suggest to you that such is found only in God. And that the psalmist says, we can experience that in a personal way to such a level and in such a degree that we then can testify to the world about that kind of a God. I would suggest, in fact, that there is no more critical, no more crucial issue facing our planet today than how we understand God. The misunderstandings, the distortions of God are being played out on the evening news day after week after month after year. If we find a God who is the God of consummate love, if our souls are open to him, then he will, through our lives, allow a light to shine that will cast an image of God to the world around us that will be life-transforming. A writer named Donald Miller writes about how that kind of love can affect and transform he shares a story of a friend whose alcoholism was destroying his life. Listen to what Miller writes. Last year, I pulled a friend out of his closet. His marriage was falling apart because of his inability to stop drinking. This man is a kind and brilliant human being, touched with many gifts from God, but addicted to alcohol and being taken down in the fight. He was suicidal, we thought, and the kids had been sent away. We sat together on his back deck and talked for hours, deep into the night. I didn't think he was going to make it. I worried about him as I boarded my flight back to Portland, and he checked himself into rehab. Two months later, he picked me up from the same airport, having gone several weeks without a drink. 
As he told me the story of the beginnings of his painful recovery process, he said a single incident was giving him the strength to continue. His father had flown in to attend a recovery meeting with him. And in the meeting, my friend had to confess all his issues and weaknesses. When he finished, his father stood up to address the group of addicts. He looked at his son and said, I have never loved my son as much as I do at this moment. I love him. I want all of you to know that I love him. My friend said at that moment, at that moment, for the first time in his life, he was able to believe that God loved him too. He believed if God, his father, and his wife all loved him, he could fight the addiction, and he believed he might make it. I don't know what you call that, but maybe you call it an answer to a prayer that says, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable, be life-changing, be such that the understanding and the revelation of God is made clear to those around me. If that's happening in your life, in mine, if that's the trajectory of our lives, it just may be about that point in time that your neighbor could say, all right, I wasn't sure how to read general revelation. I had questions and greater clarity with special revelation. But what I see burning in your life that's something that I can't argue. Strange how contemporary the words of a very ancient psalm can be. God of grace, we so much want to understand you, who you are. We want to understand not just your great and mighty power, but we want to understand your explanation of your acts. But Lord, we want to understand that ultimately, that we might walk with you here and ever, and that our walk with you might give a greater understanding of you to others. Please, might that light shine in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.